Welcome to episode seven of the Shannon Plan. I am Kyle Posey. I am joined by my homie Akash. Akash, what's up, man? What's up, KP? How's it going? Doing well, you know, just uh, just I think we all just wasted our time watching the presidential debate. If you made it through more than 10 minutes, good for you. We are here to talk about sports. Stick to sports. Um, <laughs> 49ers beat down the Giants, outcoached the Giants, outclassed the Giants with their B team, 36-9. to The first 36-9 to score in NFL history. I came up with that. Give me all the credit for that. Um, <laughs> what, so, speaking of the game, the 49ers were without essentially, I, I believe it was some, somewhere upwards to 40% of their starters, so no Jimmy Garoppolo. No George Kittle, no Raheem Mostert, no Tevin Coleman. And then the list just goes on and on. Richard Sherman. And then during the game, they lost Emmanuel Mosley, but still the Giants struggled and the Giants had a chance to score on the 49ers C team at the end of the game. Still did not get the job done. Was one of the better coach games. And you said that yourself, Akash. Tell me your takeaways from the game. Yeah, I thought, was it like NFL, like Dove Climbing or someone like someone uh tweeted during the game and it was like the 49ers are without qb1 wide receiver one tight end one uh cb1 uh and it just like went on and on and on right and you're like they're missing a ton of players and they're out here just dominating um i i told you guys before we hit record i thought this was probably kyle shanahan and robert salas like masterpiece right they were without so many players and i don't care that they're playing probably one of the two worst football teams in the league but you're on the road. Um, you you know you you've been there for two weeks now, and you come out with that type of a performance after the tough week uh, with injuries that you had the week prior. Um, yeah, I thought they did a hell of a job. They outcoached Joe Judge, um, not even close. Um, and and it's I expected them to win. I expected them to cover. I didn't expect them to win by 27. And so just just a hell of a win all around. Yeah, they were rolling. They were rolling in the red zone. They were rolling third down. They were staying ahead of the chains. I thought Shanahan called the gym. He put Mullins in some great positions. And Mullins made some plays himself, and you have to give Mullins some credit for that. So Mullins, he he looked more comfortable as the game went along. He looked like he was a little jittery at first, and that's to be expected. This was his first start in a few years. So, And he was also without, as we mentioned, Kittle, Debo. But he looked comfortable as the game went along. The first half, he had a little problems hooking up with Brandon Ayuk, and I wrote about RPOs, and we'll talk about that as well. So Shanahan, in the second half, went to one of his staples. Um, it's called Dart. So they're just running backside slants. So they're just faking a handoff, running backside slants. Because the Giants' linebacking core is so bad, they fell for it every time, and it just opened up like the Red Sea, and Ayuk took advantage. It was really impressive, though, just everything that Shanahan did. So we also have to give credit to the defense as well. So Daniel Jones, not a good quarterback. We knew that coming in, but still, you have to slow him down. You still have to find ways. And he had he did have an, a couple of nice runs, and that was probably the best part of the Giants offense, but they were without Saquon Barkley, and it showed. So we don't have to spend too much time on that, but we will talk about some of the performances from that game. And we have to start with Mullins. So, Akash, you have been tweeting out a lot of stats on this game, specifically advanced stats. And let's talk about some of those because that's where we're trending more. And 
people don't like change. People don't like math and they're <laughs> not, <laughs> it's true. They don't like, they, they don't they like, don't. The, they don't. Um, they're just used to, you know, using what they're used to using quarterback yeah. rating, which doesn't account for rushing, doesn't count for sacks, just not a good tool to use at all. So there are, there are a lot more, there are a lot better stats that we can use. And Akash, you have a few of those. So let's, let's compare Nick Mullins to Jimmy Garoppolo and kind of see how they compare side by side. Not saying there's a quarterback controversy, but that's how it's going to be taken. So Akash, fire away. Yeah, I, I so I tweeted this out earlier today, and I, I didn't want to start a fire, but I wanted to see how people would react when I just threw up the numbers and I, I didn't have like a take, right? So some, some of the advanced stats, you and I text about this all the time. Uh, I particularly like EPA, which stands for expected points added. It looks at kind of every play, and it's a metric of, depending on the play, uh, how many points you could potentially add to your score. Uh, it's, it's kind of a metric of how positive or negative that play was. And so uh, that's one stat. Uh, we also like completion percentage over expected, which takes a look at, okay, what's the ex- expected completion percentage of a certain play or certain pass? Uh, just based on down and distance, throw, uh, how close the defender is to the receiver, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then success rate is another another metric we like. Uh, that again, based on down and distance, how many yards are they gaining? So, for example, on first and ten, if you get like half the yardage, it's considered like a successful play. Um, like on third down, if it's like third and eight, if you complete it, uh, get a first down, that's considered a su- successful play. Um, and then air yards was the last thing I threw up. So between between Garoppolo and Mullins through three weeks of the season, they've both played fifty five plays exactly, which kind of worked out because uh, they've both played about a game and a half. Uh, Garoppolo's EPA and CPOE composite. So this is a score that uh, shout out Ben Baldwin over at the athletic in Seattle. Uh, he's got a sweet website that compiles all this data real time. Uh, so we're able to track it. Um, Garoppolo's EPA and CPOE composite was uh, just about 0.2 and Mullins was 0.21. So in, in the, in the 55 plays uh, Mullins success rate was about three points higher. Uh, and then their air yards Mullins uh, was at 6.6, Garoppolo's at 6.5. So basically the same. So through about a game and a half, just if you look at the advanced metrics, uh, forget you know the defenses they're playing, all that stuff, they're fairly identical, right? And that tells you a bunch of things. And I wanted to see how people would react, but uh, God, Kyle Shanahan getting that type of production uh, out of you know uh, well, a second round pick and an undrafted free agent is is says a lot. Uh, about his system, in my opinion. Yeah, he's a wizard. And comparing some of those stats... I, I, I said all that, and Kyle just goes, he's a wizard. <laughs> he is. Like, Shanahan is the best. And I, I I feel like they're... Why is this so hard for people to understand? Why is it so hard for people to separate scheme versus talent? Yes, Jimmy Rockwell is a better quarterback. Yes, he is more talented than Nick Mullins. Yes, he benefits from Kyle Shanahan. All of these things can be true. But what we saw on Sunday was that Nick Mullins is competent. And that can go a long way and and of course there's overreactions people i've seen people say a team is going to trade a first round pick for nick mullins because of one start well that is not going to happen do not get your hopes up but that does not take away from a very good performance so using epa going back to epa epa per play during week three guess how many quarterbacks had a better epa per play than (laughs) a good one this is a have you seen it i've seen the chart nobody there's one quarterback that had a better was it Monday night? Was it Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes. Ah, yeah. damn it. Okay, I saw it on a Sunday night because I threw up the graph. And I was like, oh, Nick Mullins is the best. And I didn't check Monday. So 
Yeah. Okay. Nick Mullins is in good company. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was only three quarterbacks that had a higher success rate than um, Nick Mullins. So like for what he's doing, for what he's being asked to do, he's performing at such a high level. And then he was, his CPOE was ninth on the ninth in week three. So everything that he's, he was asked to do, he did at a high level. And I feel like we don't get enough we don't give Mullins enough credit in this situation mm -hmm. because he did make some plays. Like he did beat some pressure. He did. He threw the ball into some traffic where we're just not really used to seeing him make those throws. I mean, right. he's, he had, he said last week that he improved his arm strength. I don't know if we really saw that, but it seemed like he improved his decision-making. Like he's, he's reading these plays, he's pulling the trigger faster and he's giving his guys a chance to make a play and he's giving the he's giving them a chance, and he's hitting them in stride as well. Yeah, I mean, people were coming at me. They they thought I was trying to start some like quarterback controversy. There is no controversy. Relax. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo is QB one on this team, but I think you know Nick Mullins. It's visible on film that he processes like the game a lot quicker than Jimmy Garoppolo does. Like he goes through his reads faster. He doesn't have as good of an arm. Um, he's not as good when the play breaks down. Like I think we saw that against the Jets where they, they get pressure and he sort of panics a little bit. Um, so there's areas where Jimmy Garoppolo is, is better and he's the better talent. He throws a prettier ball, even if it's, um, you know, it comes out late. Um, so those things Garoppolo has the advantage and that's the re that's the reason he should be the starter moving forward. But I think you could give Mullins the credit in this system. And to your earlier point, you know, when people are like, oh, we could trade, you know, Mullins for a first or he's going to get like so much money in the open market. Well, is Kyle Shanahan coming with Nick Mullins? Because right. Nick Mullins looks like <laughs> a shitty offensive coordinator is going to look way different than he does here in San Francisco, right? Uh, it's Part of it's just the system, right? And that happens with, I feel like, a lot of backup quarterbacks that shine in a system and then they go somewhere else on a big contract and they look terrible and people are like, they blame the the quarterback when they should be blaming, you know, the front office and the coaching staff for not maximizing the the talent that they have. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Kyle for for maximizing this undrafted free agent. Um, maybe they shouldn't have wasted a third round pick on C.J. Beathard, but well, you don't say. That's here. That's here. Not there. Caught on a limb. <laughs> I love I love that how you are making a case for Jimmy Garoppolo. You still find a way to dog him. That was beautiful. Um, let's talk about some of the players that did stand out on Sunday. And that, and one of those was to me, Kendrick Bourne. So Kendrick Bourne, he is, he has been flying under the radar just a bit. And I think that he played very well. I thought he did a good job of creating separation on Sunday and James Bradbury is not a bad cornerback and Bourne got the best of him. Uh, Bradbury did have a couple pass breakups, but that's really Mullins giving him a chance. So Bourne caught four of his six targets for 63 yards. Three of those went for first downs. And he also, which I don't know, I don't think I saw this happen all year. He made a guy miss. Like he made Bradbury miss after the tackle. And he also had a few yards. I believe he had 14. Yeah, he had 18 yards after the catch. So that was all new. That just kind of blew my mind. So I put him in like <laughs> the winners and losers because it was happy. To, I'm happy to see him progress. I'm happy to see him yep. get better. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what his usage is once Debo comes back, whether he remains on the outside, whether he's going to be in the slot, whether he loses snaps or whatever. But he just it just seems like, well, him and Mullins already had a good rapport. So they right. pretty much picked up where they left off. And I think you had some numbers on Bourne, didn't you? Yeah. So I was 
the one thing you mentioned that you were right on the head, um, it looked like Bourne was more um, like versatile after the catch. Like last year, a lot of the time, I felt like when you watch him and he's ma- making a play on third down, he usually just falls back towards like the first down marker. And he, his intent was never to like gain yards after the catch. And this team is, is built on yak, right? Um, so last season in 16 games, he only had 146 yards after the catch and he only had five uh, broken tackles. This season through three games, he already has 62 yards after the catch and three broken tackles. So he's on pace for basically double or tripling those numbers. And that's a testament to his work in the offseason. He and I have a love-hate relationship, but uh, I, I got to give him his props when they're due. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I think um, just his route running, his ability to uh, you know make guys miss and be elusive after the catch uh, is certainly an improvement. And I think when Debo Samuel's back and Brandon Ayuk continues to progress, um, he'll be a high-end wide re- wide receiver three in this offense, I think. Um, we always thought it was going to be Jalen Hurd, but um, he, he's just, yeah, he's just never healthy. So Kendrick Bourne making making uh, use of his opportunity, and uh, good on him. Bourne being a high-end wide receiver three is great for him. Like that, even if that's, that's not feeling, yeah, that yeah. is fantastic in this offense. So let's move on. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. I thought Jason Brett was very good. It was his first game since 2017, and it seems like you can tell when all the beat writers get specific information because they all tweeted out at the same time. So everybody tweeted out, this is Jason Brett's first game since blah, 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 2017. And then other people are just mocking them, tweeting the same thing, and I love that so much. I I always do the thing where you put the date in, like, Google, and you go, uh, like, find out what the time is. So you put the date, and then you put today, and then it spits out, like, 688 days or whatever, and then you look way cooler. Because you're like, oh, he hasn't played that long. So yeah. it, lo- it does look better. That's a good point. Uh, so Verrett, in his first game back, played the field corner in in spot of Akilah Witherspoon, who was out with a hamstring injury. And Verrett was targeted five times, gave up two completions. Both of those completions were what I call failed receptions, which is like the opposite of success rate. So they, they had no impact on the offense. 100% the success rate. So it was great to see. And both of those completions combined for nine yards. He also had a pass breakup where it was nice to see him finish. Um, there were a couple coverages where he had a problem just passing off in zone. Uh, he he was late on one, and then the other one he just looked confused. So that'll be something to keep an eye on to see if the Eagles do that. But, man, for a first game back, he looked confident. He played fast. It really Eric Crocker had a really good thread about this. I was going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, he, he went through and broke down every one of his plays. It was nice. Yeah, so – you can tell Verrett is still fast as hell. Like he can run flat <laughs> yeah. out. And Darius Slayton is a four three guy. And Verrett was sitting on his routes. Like he was undercutting his routes. He was in and out of his breaks quicker than it almost seemed like he knew what the route was. And Mosley is Mosley. I love Mosley probably more than anybody on the team. And Mosley has just never played like that. Witherspoon, nope. Even Sherman. It really hasn't. I haven't seen Sherman in no. his time with the 49ers move the way Verrett does. So, right. and what what stood out to me was when Verrett had that pass breakup along the sideline. It happened right in front of Robert Sala, and I know that's going to resonate with him. So, I just have a really hard time seeing Verrett coming off the field. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. And it's just one game, and it was the Giants, and he's going to be tested because he's probably going to face Deshaun Jackson, and the Eagles are going to throw the ball down the field. So it'll be fun to watch Red moving forward. Hopefully he stays healthy. But yeah, man, he's he's it's gonna be tough to so, not to not start him. Go ahead. 
the, his athleticism like stood out. I thought that was the biggest thing because, like you mentioned, I don't think the 49ers have a corner that can like run with faster receivers, right? They, they just get burnt. Um, like Sherman can't keep up with faster receivers, and then Mosley struggles to like coming in and out of breaks. So if he plays off, then he's he's struggling on those like comeback routes or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Great. And point. so Jason Verrett would be perfect in that situation. Like I, I was thinking, like, what if Jason Verrett played in the Super Bowl, right? And like how that possibly changes uh, that dynamic. Um, but again, his health is a concern, right? He was a Pro Bowl player for a reason. He just can't stay on the field. Um, he's so like wound up. His like muscles are so tight. They like uh, it consistently. He has soft tissue injuries. So hopefully he stays healthy. I, I whiffed when I said Mosley should start over Verrett. Um, my guess is when Sherman comes back, it'll be Sherman and Verrett. Um, my guess is Verrett plays the field corner. Was that right? You think? Um, I I don't think so. Actually, I think that Sherman will play the field just because the field corner is going to be you're seeing everything and you can jump routes and you can kind of play the quarterback more so than you're playing the man. And it also kind of hides you for lack of better words to the boundary. You're going to be isolated against the receiver. You're going to be facing those quick fades. You're going to be facing those quick outs, those comebacks. So I feel like that better suits for And when the struggles that I mentioned that Brett had on a couple of those routes, that's him playing the field and that's him just kind of guessing what happens and not, running with a route that's crossing when he should stay on his ground, stay on the hash and take the route that's coming back at his way. So I feel like he is perfectly suited for the boundary and Sherman is perfectly suited for the field if they are going to do that. So hopefully it stays that way. Got you. Yeah. I think also Verrett looked so much better just because Dante Johnson looked God awful on the opposite oh side. Oh uh, what, what was he wearing? 27, 27 should never see an NFL field. Like Seriously. man. So I don't think that people saw this and I don't want to, I don't want to like talk too down on him, but because everybody knows he should not be playing the 49ers did not anticipate him playing smarter snaps, at least as much as he played. So let me, let me give you some of Johnson's stats. So he did have one tackle. He also missed a tackle. He also had a penalty. He was targeted five times, gave up three completions for 41 yards. Uh, He did have a pass breakup. I will say that ball was behind him, so he better have broken up the damn pass. It, gave, uh, it was more towards him than the receiver. Right. So he had two blown coverages. He gave up two first downs. He gave up a big play on the back shoulder fade. I, so the announcer said, oh, you can't guard that. And immediately I tweeted that, no, yes, the hell you can. If Because if you watch that play on that back shoulder fade, look at the other side of the field. Verrett is facing his man. He's squeezing to his man. There's nowhere for him to go. Johnson still has like, a yard separation. He's just running parallel down the field with the receiver. I don't know why he was doing that, but those aren't even the worst plays. There, on two of his targets, Johnson literally tripped over his own feet. Seriously, go watch the fourth down where the Giants where the Giants converted. He's trying to cross the field and he just falls. Like I don't know. I I was going to tweet it out, but I don't want to be that guy. But it happened twice, and I just I don't know, man. He just can't play. But. That's what happens when, you know, you have three other injuries at the position. So it's tough to fault him too much for that. But yeah, he, he may be out there again, right? Manny Mosley, we'll get to the injuries later, but Mosley's in, in concussion protocol. Witherspoon still out with the hamstring. So yeah, he may be out there on um, Sunday. So it was good to see the 49ers get Brandon Ayuk involved. So early on the first possession, he had two jet sweep end around, or it was a jet sweep, not an end around. And that kind of tells you, 
that's the 49ers way of getting him involved, getting him touches early on. So that was nice to see. He ended up scoring a touchdown run where good old Blake Martinez pulled off of Blake Martinez. Um, the 49ers did a great job blocking on that play. But they also used a way to get Ayuk involved on play action and RPO. So he ha- he finished the game with five receptions on eight targets for 70 yards. Four of those went for first down. So all about moving the chains. That was nice. And he had 16 yards after the catch. And on two of those plays were, were an RPO that I wrote about where, man, it just it gives you all the space in the world. And this same th- these type of RPOs is exactly how they used Debo last year. Dark. And as, yep, dark. dark. So yeah. you, you make one guy miss and then it's just off to the races. And I I have a really good feeling that Ayuk is going to bust one coming up here. And they also use him on a play action route where he's just coming across the field and it's really just a foot race and you are not going to run with him in a foot race. So really love Ayuk's usage, man. And I, I'm really fascinated to see how that ha- how that works when Debo's back because they have a chance to be very dangerous because there is a lot of speed on the field and they're young. And it's not going to always look pretty, but I mean, Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, and then you have Bourne too. It, it's too bad that Reed went down because they were using Reed in the red zone specifically in ways that they do not use Kittle. And that's going to rub some people the wrong way, but it seems like Shanahan trusts Reed down there more because I've never seen them run a slot fade to Kittle. Has, has that happened before? I don't think so. Reed, Reed probably has more target, more red zone targets in two games than Kittle did like all of last season. So what it feels like. That might not be. I'm I'm sure you're right. Yeah. So there was one with the, on the play that he actually got injured. It was a great design where Mullins could not have thrown a better ball. If anything, Reed has to get his feet down there, and that's an easy touchdown. But that was a really nice design. I, I just – I. I wonder, like, why don't we see this with Kittle? But, yeah, hopefully hopefully he comes back. I would just honestly put him in bubble wrap until the team is, like, week 16, 17 playoffs and then bust Reed back out then because – Give him the D4 treatment. <laughs> yes, yes, man. Oh, that was good. So, uh, going back to defense, I thought Kevin Givens played really well. So, young, undrafted free agent from a year ago. He is a undersized three tech. They said he beefed up a little bit. He only finished with one tackle, so he's not going to get a lot of love. But he also had a stop. He had three wins. He had one play where he split a double team, forced the running back to bounce to Eric Armstead, and Eric Armstead made a tackle. It just seems like he's causing chaos. He's wreaking havoc in the backfield, and that's really good to see because the 49ers, they're going to need these timely stops, these timely wins, these timely sacks, timely QB hits because – you're not going to have Nick Bosa rely on. You're not going to have D4 to get these sacks. And as we've seen so far, like Armstead isn't getting pressure on the quarterback. So somebody's going to have to step up. It's probably not going to be Givens every week, but it's nice to see Givens get pressure this week. My thing with like interior defensive linemen and how they get judged is when you look at the stat sheet, their like impact isn't like visible, right? Like you mentioned, Givens only had a tackle. Uh, you know, even Kinlaw's numbers may not look great. But when you watch the game and you see how much they get into the backfield, how they push, um, you know, the guards or the center right back into like a running back and they have to bounce out somewhere and they get tackled, um, they completely change plays. And Givens does that. I feel like a lot more than not Um, huge pickup. And we talked about this maybe in the preseason pod. We had ranked like Solomon Thomas, Kevin Givens and Contavious Street. Kevin Givens is probably the best player of the three so far not even close okay yeah i was hesitating because I, I i don't like on solomon thomas but uh yeah kevin givens has, has looked uh real good as rob writes down where to bleep me out um 
Did uh, you have anything on Kinlaw? Because you did mention Kinlaw too. Yeah. You said- uh, so I went back and watched Kinlaw because uh, there was one play that stood out. I I thought he was like rushing off the edge, but they run a, they ran a stunt with Ziggy Ansa where Ziggy Ansa was on the edge. Uh, Kinlaw was lined up three at, at three tech and Ansa comes inside. Kinlaw rushes the left tackle. He has so much power. He drove the left tackle. Not given, I don't even know who he is. Probably not very good, but drove him right back into Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I think, completed the ball, but, um, you know, more often than not, that play is going to be a sack. Uh, there was another play where Kinlaw, like, busted through the double team um, and, and made a play in the backfield. Um, and then there was a tackle for loss, um, I think, on Devontae Freeman. Again, just violent hands, shed the blocker, uh, was in the backfield. So a lot more consistently, we need to see that out of Kinlaw, but I'd argue that was his best game so far. Um, and and he looks like he's just getting better each and every game. Um, his snap counts have gone up, so it looks like the uh, defensive coordinators trusting him more to be out on the field, and especially given the injuries, they need him to grow up fast, and uh, he's doing that. Yeah, it sucks Like to put it that way because he does have to grow up fast, but he was also selected 14 overall for a reason, so you have to at least give the 49ers something, and he's been doing a good job of that. He is a bit reckless. He does end up on the ground. He I feel like he's been pancaked every game, <laughs> and um, – that's that's just who he is right now. So he's going to have to work through through some things, but he's doing a very good job and he's progressing. And you can't really ask for much more than that three games into the season. So we're going to take a quick, quick break here. And when we get back, we are going to talk about the offenses, Achilles Hill, and not just the offense. That is the entire team. All right, we are back and we are going to talk about the offensive line because they have struggled mightily. And that keeps going on and we were wondering when is this going to stop like what is going on so after three weeks the 49ers offensive line is are dead last sorry 31st so thank you new york giants but they are 31st in the nfl in adjusted line yards and that is an issue because it's not just one person so i'm going through as i'm watching these games and i'm charting just to see who's missing blocks so in this game Trent williams three bone blocks against the run one against the pass. Lakin Tomlinson, one bone block against the run, three against the pass. Ben Garland, four bone blocks against the run. Daniel Brunskill, two against the run, two against the pass. And McGlinchey had only one bone block against the pass, but as we've seen, he had a few plays where it just did not look very pretty, and he is parallel to the ground. So it's it's been a struggle, and I'm not sure what's going on. Everybody's missing blocks. Like Ross Dwelly missed five. Kyle Juszczyk, he missed two. And Charlie Warner struggled too. It's it's bizarre. I've, I've this was not the case at all last year, and I just I have no way to explain it. Everybody's messing up, and it's not the running backs' fault either. There's a couple times where maybe they could cut up, or maybe they can follow their blocks and stay wide, and a defender doesn't run into them. But it, it's happening so often where I don't. And it, th- that's another thing. Like Shanahan is changing the running schemes mid game, so predominantly wide zone team, and there are times where it's just not working. So he goes to a gap scheme and then those don't work. So that's why we probably saw Mullins drop back and throw so much. And luckily play action and RPO still work because defenses are dumb, but eventually they're going to have to run the ball. And man, uh, it, it might be sooner than later. So you, I think you have another stat on the offensive line as well. Yeah. So ESPN does the run block win rate and pass block win rate. Um, 
49ers are 29th in run block win rate. They're only ahead of the Broncos, Dolphins, and Bills. Um, and they only win on run block 65% of the time, which is terrible. They were uh, like a top, top <laughs> half team. Yeah, yeah, that's miserable. Um, they were like top, they were top half last season, and they effectively brought the same group back. Um, I figured they upgraded at left tackle, and somehow they looked miserable. I mean, two weeks in a row, they made Quinnen Williams look like a superstar. They made Leonard Williams this week look really good. Um, and yeah, it, it's not just even, it's not just in the run game. It's also in the pass game, pass game, uh, pass block win rate. They're 20th, uh, at 55%. So they're bottom half in both. Um, they, they've got talent. It's not that they don't, they should be better than this. Um, you know, they're running backs. I think they averaged 2.7 yards per carry this past week. Um, Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson, they were consistently getting blown up in the backfield. Like in the first half, the running backs struggled mightily to get the running game going. Um, you and I, we were texting back and forth. We we're like, why is Kyle just running the ball, right? He should just be dropping back and using Mullen to throw the ball because the run game was going nowhere. And it, it seems to be an Achilles heel so far, like you mentioned. Um, and they're going to have to get right somehow. Uh, they signed Daniel Helm off the Bucks practice squad. He spent some time with the team. Um, he's likely going to take Jordan Reed's spot on the active roster. Um, so we'll see if he gets more time with Warner and Dwelly struggling in the, in the run blocking game, even though Dwelly, you know, caught some passes, made some plays in the, in the passing game, but yeah, it, it was bad. And then another stat you and I were, we were talking about is rushing yards over expected. So this is something next gen stats put together this season, kind of like completion percentage over expected, but this looks at, okay. Um, based on how well the offensive line blocks, based on down and distance and all that kind of stuff, how many yards are you expected to get in a play? And then how many yards do you end up with? And the difference is rushing yards over expected. Raheem Mostert leads the NFL in that stat. He hit, shocker. He, yeah, shocker, right? 3.07 rushing yards over expected per attempt. Jarek McKinnon is fourth. Now, that was a shocker. I, I figured Mostert would be at the top when I um, filtered it. And I was surprised to see McKinnon at fourth. He He's at two and a half uh, rushing yards over expected per attempt. Um, so those two guys are hiding the flaws of the offensive line by making magic happen, right? It's just their talent outshining uh, the the run blocking and, and in combination with Shanahan, Shanahan's schemes. Um, and, and Tevin Coleman, <laughs> he's second to last in that stat. He, he loses yards. Uh, he's minus 1.2 uh, rushing yards over expected. So he gains a yard less than what's expected of him. Uh, he also spends uh, 3.2 seconds in the backfield behind the line of scrimmage. That leads the NFL. Um, yeah, te- just don't hand the ball off to Tevin Coleman. I, I, I we, we talk about this all the time. He, he's good in the pass game. He's good when he pass blocks. Just don't hand the ball off to him. If only. Yeah, that, that's our that's our thing on the, uh, the offensive line. They need to get better. Uh, it's as simple as that. It is because... The explosive plays, it's not reliable. You can't rely on those. And that's what's that's what's been happening. Every week we see it. So Raheem Moser, the first two games, the early on the game, he has these he breaks these long runs. And on week three, just one possession, Jarek McKinnon runs for 10 yards. The next the next play has an eleven yard run for a touchdown. And before that, I tweeted, Why is Shanahan running on first down? And then sure enough, two back to back plays, and people are like, What are you talking about, you idiot? So on the season. 
the 49ers. So the, the difference rushing their rushing EPA, they are 13th in the NFL. And that's thanks to those big plays. But if you just look at their success rate, which goes on down to down, the 49ers are 25th in the NFL in rushing success rate. They're only having a successful run on 36% of their plays. That is not okay. They should be somewhere in the mid 40s because last year they were in there and they're just a, they're too good of a running team. It's a Shanahan led offense. Like this this doesn't happen. It's very strange, but they're going to have to fix something. And as you said, there's too much talent. Uh Trent Williams, first rounder. Lakin Thompson, first rounder. Mike Bulinchi, first rounder. And yes, Daniel Brunskill's AAF guy and he has struggled. Ben Garland has struggled. That is no excuse. There's way too much talent for them to be playing in the way that they are. So uh, let's move on and let's talk about some of the injuries. So who we think will play this week. So as we mentioned, Jordan Reed's down. He is on the short-term IR. He actually had a knee sprain. When he came back into the game, he suffered another injury, which is very tough to do. So he had an MCL sprain when he came back in the game, and now he's going to miss six to eight weeks. And that's a blow because he was playing very well. And Mullins was kind of force feeding him the ball. I think on one drive, he had like four or five targets. And but he was like, he's a very good receiver. So I can understand why you would do that. Uh, will we see Jimmy Garoppolo this week, who is who missed only one game, has a high ankle sprain? It seems like that would kind of be rushing him back. And I don't know if that has anything to do with Mullins' performance, but I feel like I would take my time. I wouldn't play Jimmy this week. What do you think? You know what I thought was interesting? If you have a high ankle sprain, how do you stand on the sideline and watch the game for three hours? So like, Shanahan said he's, pro- he's not going to be at the game before. Last week he yeah. said that. He probably and won't be at the game, but he was. He was there. He you know, had the like the wrist sleeve. He was listening to all the calls. He was standing yeah. next to Kittle. They, they caught him on camera a couple times. And I was like, he's ha- he has a high ankle sprain. Wouldn't you think he should be staying off his feet? Like, you know, sitting in a booth upstairs and, and still listening. Um, or sitting in the locker room or whatever, right? And I was like, is he good enough? Like, if this was, I don't know, they were playing Seattle or they were playing Los Angeles or Green Bay or it was a playoff game, like, would Jimmy Garoppolo be playing? Like, I, I don't know. Typically, a high ankle sprain, I would think, is like two to four weeks, somewhere in that range, depending on the severity and whatnot. But um, I thought I thought that was interesting. But that being said, just given the opponent – uh, the Eagles being 0-2-1, Carson Wentz not looking right, um, all that stuff. And how you know, also with how Mullins played last week, maybe that gives you an extra week to get Jimmy Garoppolo just right. Because we, you and I know, after they get past the Eagles and the Dolphins, they enter like the meat of their schedule. They need Garoppolo healthy, not on like a, an ankle that's like 75% or whatever, right? So would you take the extra week to make sure he's 100%? I, I probably would. So I, I wouldn't expect to see Jimmy. I, I think it's Nick Mullins on Sunday night. So George Kittle practiced last week, was not did not play in the game. He's been battling a knee injury as well. Do we see George Kittle on Sunday? I'm going to go yes. I'm going to go yes. I thought George Kittle was going to play last week. Right. Because um, he – I think they had a video of him at, at the Greenbrier, and he was like running a route, looked – pretty good uh, not that i'm some doctor or anything but um i shared the holiday express yeah yeah <laughs> uh just given the extra week of prep uh given that they're not playing on the meth met death turf as uh cam and min likes to call it um and they're back on natural grass i, I think kittle gets out there uh especially with no jordan reed 
that only leaves you with Ross Dwelly, Charlie Warner, and, and Daniel Helm. So they could use an, another pass catcher. Um, so I, I go yes on Kittle. So Raheem Mostert had the second his second child. Congrats to him and his family. He has also been battling a knee injury. I think we see him this week. We'll, we will find out during practice on Wednesday his status. But I imagine he will be back. What do you think? Uh, I think he will be back, but for a different reason. So the with the new practice squad rules, they can only elevate a, pra- the, a practice squad player twice in one season. And so Jamichael Hasty's already been elevated once, so he can only be elevated this week, and that would be it for the season, right? And so I figured if Mostert was hurt for longer, they would just sign Hasty to the 53-man roster, put Mostert on IR like they did with Tevin Coleman, and that would be that. So just given that, I think we see um, Moster either uh, this week uh, or next week, just because hey, this would be the last week that Hasty could uh, be elevated to the active roster. So that that one's a coin toss, and right. uh, I guess we'll find out tomorrow after or Wednesday by the time people listen after they uh, practice. Now that's a really good point, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So another injury. So K1 Williams has been dealing with a hip discomfort. He will be evaluated on Wednesday as well. Kyle Shanahan said on Monday that he doesn't expect to have Dre Greenlaw, who's been battling a thigh contusion. So we will see Aziz Al-Shahir for another week at Sam. And as we mentioned, D Ford is a candidate for the short-term IR. Uh, the, the last injury is Debo Samuel. So, well, here's who's day-to-day. So Kittle's day-to-day, Garoppolo's day-to-day, Mostert, Witherspoon with his hamstrings day-to-day, and Jared McKinnon actually suffered an upper rib injury. He's day-to-day as well. Um, Jordan Reed's going on short-term IR. Mark Nazocha had a quad injury. He's going on the short-term IR. Ford is a possibility. Mosley is still in the concussion protocol, as we saw. And so Debo Samuel will return to practice on Wednesday. He has not done anything game-wise since February. He injured – I believe he injured himself late in June. And so he's not in anywhere in game shape at all. So I don't think we see him uh, this week. I, I would honestly just take my time with him and just get him back – for the bulk of the schedule. When do you think we see Debo? I'm going to go against Miami. I so if, the next week. Yeah. If, if I was Kyle Shanahan, I wouldn't want to throw thrust him right into the fire when he Got returns it. against Jalen Ramsey. Like, oof. Um, yeah. Go get him, dude. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You haven't played live football in like, uh, what? Eight months, nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Go line up against one of the best corners in the league. So I would ease him in against Miami. Miami has good corners too. Uh, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard. Um, but I, I just like that matchup better. It's, you know, not, not a national game. It's one of those like Sunday afternoon games. So I, I just like easing him in uh, rather than just throwing him right into the fire. So I think we see him not this week, but next week. All right, and let's move on here. So has your opinion changed about the 49ers? And we can make this like a weekly segment because it's going to depend how they look every week. So against the Jets, it was super depressing because half the team got hurt. Even though they won, it did not feel like a win. But they bounced back against the Giants and just kicked their butts. Like that's the best way to put it in every aspect of the game. The 49ers beat up on the Giants, and now – I think that gave us hope and that gave us a reason to believe in the 49ers again. Like, oh, they are super talented. They are really good. They can beat up. Like, we, if they can play like that with their B team and C team against the Giants, who are still an NFL team, they can probably compete with the best of the best, even when they're healthy. So it's going to, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be these blowout games like we saw last week or last year. 
But I think this year, more than more than last year, will be more entertaining to watch just because there will be struggles. So I my opinion has changed a bit. I think that they will be. So last week we said nine and seven was the goal. Let's go back to that. Do the 49ers win more than nine games this year? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I you know, we it's one of those things where if you like you panic on Sunday after the game and you're like, man, everyone's dropping like flies and then you sleep on it and then you wake up the next morning and yeah, maybe every every person goes through this, but then you're like, it's not that bad. And then you start to like reason with yourself why they could be good again. Um, But Kyle mentioned it, right? When you look back at it, the injuries look terrible and injuries are part of the game. It is what it is, but you only really lost Nick Bosa Solomon Thomas, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm not sure he was going to play much, just given Kevin Givens' rise. But Nick Bosa was a, a devastating injury. But everyone else is going to return, right? George Kittle, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert, Debo Samuel. Um, eventually, hopefully for the meat of their schedule. So they should be pretty close to 100% healthy just without their two best pass rushers. Um, yeah, which, which when I say it, it sounds crazy, but you watch their defensive line and against crappy teams, they're not generating like pass rush like last year, but they're getting push um, and they're getting in the backfield and they're, they're making an impact in my opinion. Um, so I would say yes on the nine wins uh, or yes on the higher than nine wins. Um, and solely I'm banking that off of Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala, just devising game plans with the talent that they have to overcome uh, the two injuries to Ford and Bosa. And I, I tweeted this out um because the DVOA, the the football outsider ratings, uh, comes out every Tuesday morning after the Monday night game. Uh, the 49ers uh, were the only team in the top eight for both uh, total offense and total defense. I believe their let me pull this up. Their total offense was like eighth. Their total defense was fifth. And so they've got this very balanced approach. And it got me thinking, like, okay, you look at the contenders in the NFC. They've got like really good offenses, whether it's Green Bay or Seattle or Dallas, but they've also got really shitty defenses. And so the Niners may not have an offense that's as potent or a quarterback that's as talented as those teams, but they have just as good of a coach. They may have a more balanced approach, and I think they can hang with any of those guys uh, when it comes to crunch time. So that balance they have they'll have to continually build upon as they get uh healthier as the season goes but um yeah i i just gained more respect for the coaching staff i think after that win uh absolutely absolutely so robert sala blitzed daniel jones on 31 percent of his dropbacks and we have been an advocate to because he's going to have to be creative he's not going to be able to sit back and say hey anymore yeah, my best. Hey, my, I'm better than you are, and we're going to show you. So yeah. that was not the case. But he's getting creative, and he's using Kwan Williams. He's using Jimmy Ward. He's using Jaquiski Tart as rushers, and he's also using Fred Warner, who turns out is really good at football. And he had a nice quarterback hit where I thought Tart was going to make the interception. He came close. He had to die for it. But it's just nice to see Salah get creative, and he's going to have to do that, especially against these quarterbacks, especially against like a guy like Carson Wentz where there's no real downfall to blitzing young quarterbacks because they're not processing at the same speed you saw with Daniel Jones. And I hope it keeps up because it just makes, it just puts so much pressure on these young quarterbacks. So it was really good to see. So it was a good point to bring up the coaching and let actually speaking of that, let's get into some of the Eagles projections. So 
I was on a podcast with some of the Eagles guys, and they just have no confidence in all, at all in their team so far. So Carson Wentz, if you guys have not watched him this season, he is the opposite of good. He's just not doing anything right Six at picks. all. He, Six he's picks, three hits. He is doing a great job of throwing the ball to the other team. He's not really giving the offense a chance, and they are pretty banged up too. And I believe now they're going to be down Dallas Goddard, who's one of their best pass catchers, and they're already at, without Jalen Rieger, their first – who'd you say? I said I think Goddard's better than Ertz, but – Oh, he is, and I've told them that too, but they agree, so it's not really okay, fun. all right, okay. <laughs> I, was hoping, I was hoping it would be some sort of a hot take. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> they agree too. They actually think he makes Ertz expendable, so – um, but yeah, I, like I'm not worried about Fred Warner on Zach Ertz at all. But I do think the Eagles present a problem, and we mentioned the offensive line. So they have Josh Sweat, who's actually been, performed really well. They also have Fletcher Cox, who is just a monster, and he remains a monster. So that'll be on, you know, the play action game. That'll be on getting the ball out quick, and that'll be on probably getting to the edges on the run game. I imagine we see more jet sweeps to Brandon Ayuk to try to get to the edge. But Philly will also be without one of their cornerbacks who was starting, and I don't believe he entered the season as a starter, Avante Maddox. So the 49ers should have an opportunity to throw the ball all over the Eagles. I'm not too worried about this game. I believe that it's a five-point spread, right? Uh, it's up to seven. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's up to seven. Oh. Now, I was looking at it today because uh, I wanted to see what the Jets-Broncos um, line was. And I, I scrolled down, and, and the Niners are favored by seven. And I was like, wow. So Someone's sleeping on Philly. Yeah, that tells you the people in higher places are placing a lot of money on the 49ers, which is good news because usually you follow the money. And, I mean, if you just watch the Eagles play, they made – so they were getting after Joe Burrow, but they were not tackling Joe Burrow. I think and that's – they were leaving a lot of receivers open down the field. So there's – no real reason the 49ers shouldn't be able to score. It'll just be a matter of containing that defensive line because they are um, they are very dangerous. Uh, what would be your score? So first of all, what would be your deciding factor in this game? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, just how the defensive line looks against Carson Wentz, right? Yeah. So they've generated pressure against Daniel Jones and the Giants and Sam Darnold and the, the Jets. The Eagles' offensive line stinks. I think they gave up seven sacks and twenty-four pressures week one. The pressures are down. There, they were sub. They were less than ten in the last two weeks, but they were a high number. Um, and their offensive line has just taken a bunch of injuries, all, like before the season started. Um, they've got Jason Peters out there, who's what 39, 38. He was getting blown by a lot last week. Um, someone put like a cut up of uh, all the you know pressures that Peters given up, and it looks ugly. So yeah. this would have been a Bosa game for sure. Like Bosa would right. have alive. Right. But I guess uh, you can probably say that with anybody. <laughs> so if if they can get to Wentz, if they can force turnovers, you know, the the big thing from last week that Mullins did well, you know, the 49ers didn't punt the ball, the 49ers didn't turn the ball over. They forced three turnovers. So, you know, when you have a backup quarterback in, you have all these injuries, your team has to play like a clean game. They they can't have like a Pittsburgh 2019 game where they turn the ball over five times and they make all these mistakes because they don't have the talent to like overcome all those mistakes. Their margin of error is a lot slimmer now with giving the guys what they have. So um, if they can play a clean game, if they, if the defensive line can get after Wentz uh, and force some turnovers, I don't see how the 49ers don't win and cover the points. I'm a little nervous taking 49ers at and, and seven points, but 
Yeah, um, that is a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot for Nick Mullins, but right. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe you know, uh, Vegas thinks that Jimmy Garoppolo like might come back this week. It would be my only explanation for that. But Carson Wentz is talented, despite how bad he's looked. Like he's missing checkdowns in the backfield. Like he's overthrowing like running backs in the backfield. Like it's looked bad. And even I almost put together a clip of all the throws that Wentz has missed because it is not pretty at all. No, and I I was like a Wentz truther. Like I thought he was better than Dak, but oof, yeah, I look bad having that type of a take uh, so far through three games. And like even the interceptions that you mentioned, the the six he had one in the red zone, which was like a no no. Um, and they were like kicking the Washington football team's butts, and he threw a couple of picks in that game, and it, and the momentum shifted completely. He lost them that game, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's hitting like defenders in stride. Like it's not like oh the ball is getting tipped or the defender makes a great play. Like he's hitting DBs in stride uh, for, for for yeah for interceptions. So uh, hopefully Tart and Ward can catch a pick and they can get me closer to the total of four. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but that would be my key. Just you know protect the ball, play a clean game, get after Wentz, and you should be three three and one at the the end of the day. So some of the Eagles' offensive statistics. So going back to advanced stats, their EPA per play, they are 29th in EPA per play. They are 29th in success rate. They are 30th in dropback EPA. They are 29th in dropback success rate. If you cannot throw the ball in this league, you cannot win. And it's evident. And that matches up with what you see because they're just not moving the ball. If you can't move the ball in the Bengals, you, you ain't going to move the ball yeah. yeah, I don't think so. so. There's a yeah, this this should be a win, and the 49ers need to win. They need to get out of here healthy, and that's probably the two most important things they need to make. So, uh, what give us a score prediction before we get out of here? Uh, I will go 23-16. I just think it's going to be a low scoring game. I I don't I don't see the 49ers giving up a ton of points. I don't think the 49ers offense will be able to score 36 um, like they did last week, just given, like you mentioned, the Jet, the Eagles defensive line talent. I think they're going to get after Mullins a little bit more. He's not going to be as comfortable as he looked last week. Um, they, they've still got talent on both sides of the ball, but at the end of the day, even with all the injuries that we listed, and even if Kittle's the only person to play, I still think the 49ers should be able to come away and, uh, and be 3-1. and one. Yeah, so I said 24-17 earlier. So I'm I'm we're we're on the same page here. I believe that Ayuk is gonna go for hundred yards because I've seen the Philly Philly secondary and they probably couldn't cover me, so I know they can't cover Ayuk. I also think that Wentz does throw the ball to one of the 49ers cornerbacks. I'm not, not sure if that'll be Rhett, not sure if that'll be Mosley. Hopefully those are your two starters, though. And I think that'll be the difference in the game. It'll be a turnover. Uh, I don't know if the 49ers cover. I know I said 24-17. It'll probably be one of those, 24-17, 23-17, something around there. It'll be one of but, those like, garbage time touchdowns that like blow your cover. And if you took the 49ers and the points, you'd be worst, mad. So yeah. Worst thing ever. Um, but no, that's great. So I'm glad we agree there. A lot of good stuff tonight. That is all for us. We will be back next Wednesday, hopefully talking about another 49ers victory. Akash, where can we follow you on the social medias? On the Twitters, you can follow me at Akash Anav, A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. What about you, KP? I am Kyle Pose. You can follow me at KP underscore show. Thanks for tuning in and go Niners. Go Niners.